Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. When a young girl was adopted from Ethiopia, it seemed as if she was going to be sent to a better life in America. But three years after her adoption, Hannah Grace Rose Williams died of hypothermia and the investigation into her death uncovered the shocking secrets of Hannah's adoptive parents. This is Monsters. Hannah Alema was born on June 19, 1998 in Ethiopia. She grew up in poverty and was abandoned by her birth parents. Living in a Catholic orphanage throughout her childhood as a preteen, she was put up for adoption through Washington-based Adoption Advocates International. It was an agency run by Marilee Ripley, a woman who had adopted 17 children from overseas herself. When Larry and Carrie Williams contacted Adoption Advocates International to inquire about adopting a child, the agency believed they had found adoptive parents who were the perfect match for young Hannah. The couple were both conservative Christians who had elected to homeschool all of their seven biological children. In the mid-2000s, this was a trend for a lot of Christian couples and the Williamses transformed their lifestyle accordingly. Carrie had married young at only 19 years old, and as their family grew, she began to dress only in long skirts and dresses and developed anti-feminist viewpoints. She disagreed with the values of modern society, believing that women belonged at home and even believing they shouldn't have the right to vote. The nine Williams siblings were raised in an isolated gated community on a five-acre property where they had extremely limited contact with the outside world. To Larry and Carrie, and many other conservative Christians, adopting children was a way to prove their faith by quote-unquote rescuing a child from bad circumstances. Carrie Williams had been the one to bring up the idea of adoption after she met several women at a fundamentalist retreat who had adopted children from Liberia. Carrie desperately wanted to add to their already large family, but she had developed health concerns which made her unable to have another healthy pregnancy. After talking to the women at her retreat, Carrie was immediately taken with the idea of adoption. 
What Carrie didn't know at the time was that many of these trendy adoptions had failed. Some of the children had behavioral issues or trauma from the hardships they had experienced. And a lot of the adoptive parents were poorly prepared for the work that adoption required. It wasn't like adopting a cute puppy or kitten. Adoption meant adding a new child to an existing family and putting in the effort to help them thrive. Many of these conservative Christian families liked the idea of adoption but had no idea how to carry it out successfully. By 2008, when the Williamses got in touch with Adoption Advocates International, they were serious about adopting and they were willing to do whatever they had to to be accepted as adoptive parents. For them, this meant omitting certain pieces of information, in particular the ways in which they disciplined their children. According to the agency's social services director, Gay Knudsen, families who admitted to physically disciplining their children would be barred from adoption. Carrie and Larry both spanked their biological kids as a punishment, but insisted to Adoption Advocates International that they were against physical punishment when they were asked about it during their home study. The child that the adoption agency initially matched Carrie and Larry with wasn't Hannah. It was actually a young deaf boy named Emmanuel who had also been orphaned. As Carrie was fluent in American Sign Language after studying it in college with the hope of becoming an interpreter, the agency thought the young boy would be in good hands with the Williams family. Carrie and Larry were immediately attached to Emmanuel and agreed that they would adopt him. To the adoption agency, it seemed like the perfect match. Hoping to try their luck, the agency showed them a video of another child, a healthy young girl who also needed a home after being abandoned by her parents. It was Hannah. The Williamses were moved by the video and quickly agreed that they would adopt both children as siblings. The process that the Williamses used to adopt their two children from Ethiopia is now forbidden because of ethical concerns. But at the time, it was possible for adoptive parents to have their children flown to America without ever traveling to Ethiopia to meet them. The first time that Emmanuel and Hannah met their new parents, they were already thousands of miles away from home, in a new country without anyone else to advocate for them. Hannah was initially renamed Hannah Grace Rose Williams, the name she'd be known for the rest of her life. During the first year after their adoption, Hannah and Emmanuel were visited by a social worker only three times. The social worker wrote up short reports on how the children were doing post-adoption, giving minimal detail into their well-being. From the brief reports, it seemed as if Hannah and Emmanuel were settling in. Emmanuel was learning American Sign Language and bonding with his siblings. Hannah had discovered a love for reading, and her doctor reported that she was no longer underweight for her age. By June of 2009, Adoption Advocates International had stopped receiving written updates on Hannah and Emmanuel. Although the agency asked adoptive parents to update them on their adopted children, the process wasn't actually mandated by law. Both children stopped visiting the doctor, and because they were homeschooled by Carrie, there was nobody else who was able to check in on their well-being. In fact, the next time Hannah would be checked over by a doctor would be at her autopsy two years later. According to Larry and Carrie, 10-year-old Hannah was quote-unquote rebellious, and they punished what they saw as rebellion in a variety of vicious ways. Sometimes, Hannah would be locked in a closet for hours at a time. Other times, she would be denied food and water when her parents thought she had misbehaved. 
She was also physically punished with spankings and beatings, and sometimes she would be ordered to go outside and exercise in the cold until she was on the verge of fainting from hunger and exhaustion. Larry and Carrie had done an excellent job of fooling the adoption agency, but as soon as Hannah and Emmanuel were at home with them, the mask gradually slipped, and the true nature of the couple was revealed. They found excuses to punish Hannah and Emmanuel for the tiniest of errors, such as standing in the wrong place in the room. While her siblings could sleep indoors, Hannah was soon forced to sleep in the cold of the family's barn, and instead of showering with warm water, her only option to clean herself was washing her body with the cold water from the outdoor hose. This treatment carried on, escalating for the next three years of Hannah's life. It was midnight on May 11, 2011, when Hannah Williams fell down and didn't get back up. By now, she was 13 but severely underweight for her age. Her chest was as flat as a boy's, her bones were protruding, and she was covered with scars and injuries from the physical abuse she had faced at the hands of her adoptive parents. Her head had also recently been shaved down to the scalp. As Hannah lay motionless face down in the mud, the Williams family watched her from behind a window. Carrie Williams had been occasionally standing by the window for the past few hours, watching as Hannah stumbled around the garden outside, repeatedly falling and then staggering back to her feet. She had ordered Hannah to do jumping jacks outdoors as a punishment during the afternoon, and had forbidden her from coming inside. At one point in the freezing cold, she had stripped completely naked, a process called paradoxical undressing, which occurs in people suffering from severe hypothermia. In a last-ditch effort for the body to survive, warm blood will rush to the extremities from the core which will create a sort of hot flash, making the person feel like they're burning up, so they remove their clothes. Several times during this ordeal, Emmanuel, who was watching, frozen in fear, saw Carrie pointing and laughing at Hannah's suffering. The first few times Hannah fell down, Carrie dismissed it as being attention-seeking, rebellious behavior. At one stage, Carrie asked two of her sons to go outside and spank Hannah as further punishment. Several of the Williams siblings stood watching, waiting for Hannah to stand back up, but she didn't. One of Carrie's daughters went to her mother and told her that Hannah was naked and had stopped moving. Carrie was more upset by Hannah's nudity than anything else, and went to get a sheet from her bed to cover the young girl's body. Then she ordered two of her children to pick Hannah up and carry her inside. Hannah was unresponsive, but Carrie didn't attempt to resuscitate her. Instead, she made a phone call to Larry, who was still at work. Finally, after ending the call with Larry, Carrie reluctantly called 911. What's your emergency? Yes, um, I think my daughter just killed herself. Why do you say that? Um, she's really rebellious and she's been outside refusing to come in and she's been throwing herself all around and then she collapsed. The operator noticed that Carrie didn't seem distressed at all. Desperate to save Hannah's life, the operator instructed Carrie to begin CPR. Carrie didn't follow the instructions, instead telling the operator that Hannah's pupils were widely dilated as if, quote, she was in a dark room. She also protested that her daughter's mouth was full of mud and dirt from where she had fallen on the ground. You know, because you wouldn't want to get dirty while saving a child's life. 
While the operator kept instructing her to perform CPR, Carrie complained about Hannah's behavior causing her so much stress, describing her as being quote-unquote passive-aggressive. It was as if, to Carrie, Hannah's death had been one final act of disobedience. An ambulance arrived at the Williams' home and rushed a still unresponsive Hannah to the hospital. Attempts were made to revive her, but it was too late. She was pronounced dead at the hospital. Immediately, an investigation into what had caused the death of this severely malnutritioned and beaten young girl began. Ultimately, Hannah's death was determined to be due to hypothermia, as well as chronic gastritis and severe malnutrition. Hospital staff made an urgent call to Child Protective Services who arrived at the Williams house the next day to check on the well-being of the other eight siblings. Larry Williams met them at the door and didn't allow them inside the house. CPS contacted the local police who arrived not long after. One of the officers noted that the entire family was behaving as if Hannah's death was nothing more than a minor inconvenience. Police officers carried out interviews with the eight remaining Williams children, but they weren't able to get any further information. It was as if the eight siblings were reciting from the same script. One by one, they all insisted that Hannah had been disobedient. Emmanuel told investigators that, quote, people like her got spankings for lying and go into the fires of hell. Another one of the brothers earnestly insisted that he thought Hannah had been possessed by the devil. Somehow, after none of the interviews revealed any new information, the Williams family were allowed to carry on as normal. Larry and Carrie posted an online statement in Hannah's memory listing her hobbies as knitting and crocheting, reading, drawing, various crafts, playing soccer, and riding her bicycle. It was as if they were describing a different child, a version of Hannah that had never been tortured or abused. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Two months passed and then an anonymous tip was phoned in to Child Protective Services. The caller told them that Carrie had begun to abuse Emmanuel just like she had abused Hannah. With that new information, CPS officially launched an investigation into Larry and Carrie, placing the remaining Williams siblings into the care of the state. After a two-month investigation, Larry and Carrie Williams were placed under arrest for causing the death of Hannah. When police carried out searches of the family home, they noted that it was bizarrely tidy. Looking through the house, it was impossible to believe that it was the home to a family of ten. One of the most disturbing things found during these searches was a highly controversial book titled To Train Up a Child. The book has previously made headlines for giving quote-unquote parenting tips that are ultimately child abuse, including denying food to children if they've misbehaved, hitting children with a switch, and using outdoor exercise in cold weather as punishment. The book even advocated that physical punishment in the form of spanking should begin in infancy. Not only had Larry and Carrie used all of these techniques on Hannah, 
they had even recommended the book to a friend of theirs and gifted them a copy. The book's author, Michael Pearl, responded to the publicity that he had started receiving after reports that Hannah's parents owned a copy of his book. It wasn't the only death of a child that Michael's book had been associated with either, as two other cases where young children had been beaten to death had been connected to his horrible account of how to raise a child. His statement was, at best, ignorant, at worst, malicious. He said, quote, I laugh at my caustic critics, for our properly spanked and trained children grow to maturity in great peace and love. He also wrote that he shared in the sadness over the tragic death of Hannah Williams, but didn't seem to recognize that the dangerous techniques he had listed in his book could cause death if taken to extremes, and in Hannah's case, they had. During the investigation, Carrie and Larry were legally forbidden from contacting their children or their foster families. Larry managed to reach out to the kids, sending them coded messages in the form of highlighted Bible verses. He was ultimately caught and forced to spend the remaining time waiting for trial behind bars so that he could have no further contact with the rest of his family. In his foster home, it became clear that Hannah's brother Emmanuel had also been severely abused, but was petrified to say anything bad about the family. The Williamses took advantage of his hearing impairment and would stomp on the ground to try to get his attention. If he didn't notice their stomping, he would be beaten. Sometimes, Carrie socially isolated Emmanuel by forbidding the rest of the family from using sign language to communicate with him. On several occasions, the soles of his feet were whipped and he remembered being hit in the head so hard that it drew blood. He was convinced that, if he returned to Carrie and Larry's care, he would meet the same fate as his sister. Even in the safety of his foster home, he was constantly distressed, even asking his foster parents why they didn't hit him and woke up several times every night due to nightmares about Carrie and Larry. One of the most gruesome parts of the preparations for the Williams' trial was the need to exhume Hannah's body from her final resting place. Even in death, Hannah was violated by her adoptive parents. In this case, because they insisted that she was actually 16 years old instead of 13. Her actual age was extremely important because Larry and Carrie were facing charges of homicide by abuse an age-dependent crime that only applies to child victims under 16 years of age. In response to the charges, the couple claimed that Hannah's age had been incorrectly recorded as 13, when in reality she was much older. Exhumation and examination of the girl's body revealed the truth. Hannah Williams was, in fact, only 13. In 2013, Larry and Carrie went to trial for Hannah's murder. The jury was weeded down from more than 150 potential jurors, because many of the selected people on the jury had seen news articles or reports about the case. In the months after Hannah died, her abuse at the hands of her adoptive parents had been featured in the New York Times, and the story tugged at the heartstrings of parents around the world. When it was reported that her body would be exhumed, there was a reaction of public outrage. With the jury finalized, the accused couple faced the courtroom. Carrie Williams, who was described as being, quote, the most despised woman in the county on the local news, looked frail and distraught, repeatedly fanning her face while her eyes welled up with tears. Larry sat nearby, stone-faced. 
the courtroom documents, evidence, and the testimonies by several of Carrie and Larry's biological children revealed the true extent of how much Hannah had suffered during the years she spent living in the Williams' home. Over time, the punishments and abuse she suffered had escalated from bad to worse. While initially she was ordered to sleep alone in an outdoor barn, this soon changed to a shower room that she would be locked inside with the lights off, and then to a closet that only measured 4 feet by 2 feet or 1.2 meters by 0.6 meters. The tiny closet, which locked from the outside, imprisoned Hannah more and more often as the end of her life approached. On multiple occasions, her siblings reported Hannah was locked in the closet for almost 24 hours at a time without food or water. Larry and Carrie would stand outside the closet, making Hannah listen to them as they read sermons or played Christian music. During her testimony, Carrie insisted that Hannah had never been locked in the closet for more than 10 consecutive hours, as if that was vastly different to 24 hours. According to transcripts from the Williams siblings' interviews with police, none of the members of the family liked Hannah, but they rarely had to see her as she was always in the closet. In the last year of her life, the siblings noted that Hannah no longer cried when she was being beaten. She was brutally punished in complete silence. Although the Williamses had very limited contact with the outside world, their neighbors and the few friends they had were willing to testify against them. Family friends told the jury about how, when the family went out for walks, Hannah was made to walk several feet behind the rest of the siblings. Neighbors had noticed that, while the rest of the Williams siblings played games outside, Hannah was only allowed to stand nearby and watch while they had fun. For the entire year before Hannah's death, she hadn't eaten a single meal with the other members of the family, and she had been banned from taking part in homeschool lessons. When she and Emmanuel were allowed to eat, Carrie and Larry made the food as unappetizing and unnutritious as possible, soaking their sandwiches in cold water before serving them and making them eat frozen vegetables. These meals were always eaten outside, even when it was snowing. If Hannah or Emmanuel tried to sneak food from the cupboard, they would be punished by being struck with a piece of plastic tubing that Carrie carried with her at all times. A detective's affidavit revealed details that Carrie Williams had shared with members of her knitting group before Hannah's death. The members of the group recalled Carrie frequently complaining about Hannah's behavior, calling her rebellious and disobedient. According to the group, Carrie had also been mortified that Hannah had begun menstruating, telling them that, quote, she had expected to adopt a little girl, not a half-grown woman. However, Carrie turned down advice that she should contact her adoption agency about Hannah, saying that she wouldn't give Hannah up because she, quote, didn't wish her on anyone. Carrie told the knitting group that she had a different plan for getting rid of Hannah. Her plan was to legally change her age so that she was older and could be disowned as soon as she became an adult. She hoped that she would be able to do that because, according to Carrie, it gave her a better chance to be able to train Emmanuel into being a better child than Hannah. One of the knitters expressed concern about how Hannah would survive if she was kicked out of her home in her teens. Carrie responded that she didn't care. Well, how Christian of you. Like many children adopted from poverty, Hannah came to the Williamses with existing health conditions, including being a carrier of the hepatitis virus. Carrie believed that Hannah had been putting the rest of the family at risk of catching hepatitis by reportedly wiping her menstrual blood on the door of the family's bathroom. 
After that accusation, Carrie began forcing Hannah to use an abandoned outdoor porta potty. Hannah used the porta potty for an entire year, during which it was only cleaned once. Instead of being allowed to wash herself in the same bathroom as the rest of the family, Hannah had to hose herself down outside with cold water, while the rest of the family stood and watched in disapproval. Carrie noticed that Hannah was proud of her curly hair, which she kept in braids, and began punishing Hannah by shaving her head. It was just another small source of happiness that the Williamses didn't hesitate to take from her. Both of the Williams' parents took the stand to speak in their own defense, but neither of them took any ownership of their actions. Instead, both Carrie and Larry tried to place as much blame as possible on each other, minimizing their own involvement in the abuse of the children and Hannah's eventual death. Larry claimed that he didn't know how badly Carrie was abusing the children, because he spent most of his time at work and the worst of the abuse took place while he was out of the house. Carrie claimed that, with their patriarchal misogynistic values, Larry was the one who was calling the shots, while she just did his bidding. How convenient. The evidence was damning, and Larry and Carrie's lack of ownership for their actions turned the jury further against them. It didn't take the jury long to reach a verdict. Carrie Williams, because of her more severe abuse of Hannah and the fact that her actions had ultimately led to the girl's death, was handed the more severe sentence of 36 years in prison for first-degree assault of a child as well as causing homicide by abuse. Larry Williams received a 27-year sentence and was convicted of first-degree assault of a child and first-degree manslaughter. They were also both charged with assaulting a manual who bravely testified against them. Because of his traumatized mental state and difficulties communicating, Emmanuel had to testify in front of the court in short stints. He did his best to convey his story in sign language while three different interpreters worked to translate for the jury. While Emmanuel struggled through his testimony, several of the members of the gallery burst into tears. The sight of a 12-year-old boy in such distress, looking much younger than his real age, was heartbreaking. During his testimony, Emmanuel signed that he wasn't sure exactly what had happened to Hannah. He signed, quote, I don't know, she disappeared. I think maybe she is dead. With the trial finally over and Carrie and Larry behind bars, Emmanuel was fostered by an African-American woman who was also hearing impaired. Members of the public who were invested in the trial celebrated publicly condemning the Williamses on social media and calling for changes to the adoption system to prevent such a tragedy from happening again. Meanwhile, the community center from Hannah's original home in Ethiopia tried to erect a headstone in the girl's memory, but instead, the extended Williams family paid to have their own memorial headstone installed. What could have been a remorseful gesture was actually one more insult to Hannah's memory. The birth date that was placed on this gravestone was three years earlier than Hannah's actual birthday, fitting with Carrie and Larry's insistence that Hannah was actually a rebellious teenager, and not an abused and traumatized child. With the headstone, the Williams family took control of Hannah one final time, making their entire extended family monsters just like Larry and Carrie are. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. 
This website is set up so that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility. Call 911 or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline by simply dialing 988 in the United States. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you may be facing. If you are a member of the LGBTQ community and suffering from discrimination, depression, or are in need of any support, please contact the LGBT National Hotline at 1-888-843-4564 or go to lgbthotline.org. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our merchandise at thisismonsters.com. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe.